All right. How is everybody doing tonight? Good stuff. I want to say welcome to all of you joining us here in our room tonight. And those of you that are joining us online, welcome as well. We're blessed to be here with you guys as we continue through the book of 2 Peter. And we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2 tonight, looking at verses 1 through 14. And we're going to be looking at something that is a very, very serious warning given under the inspiration of God, and I share that because this is one of those passages you read and you go, well, that's not nice. That sounds mean. That sounds harsh. And so we're going to deal with that as we get through it. But as Peter wrapped up um, what he's been saying, what we have at the end of chapter 1 of 2 Peter here, he established the foundation of truth. And, and really was establishing the, the, that, that foundation of truth that, that all he had taught him was built upon, right? He's like, look, I've, I've, what I've told you is true. Why? Because I saw it with my own eyes. He, he appealed to his own personal eyewitness experience of knowing that Jesus is who Peter has been telling them he is. And then he also appealed to the strongly confirmed prophetic word, or in other translations, it says the more sure word of prophecy, what that was speaking of is basically how, um, well, he was referring to what Scripture said about Jesus, what Scripture said he would do, who he would be, and, and also in appealing to the, the prophetic word. There's, there's so many other things that the word has been prophetic on, but, but all these things that the word spoke about before they happened, and, and these are verifiable prophecies that we can go back and look at and, and verify. And so in speaking of all that, he was really establishing the fact that, look, we can be absolutely confident of the truth that we believe in as Christians because of one, his own personal eyewitness account, and we have that today, not necessarily eyewitness of a physical Jesus, but we all have our personal testimony of what God has done in our lives, how God has changed us from who we were before salvation to who we are now, and then obviously we have the provable, verifiable word of God. And so now in verse uh, or chapter two, he gets in to how to identify those who are trying to bring falsehood into the body of Christ. Those that are trying to bring false teaching, he's dealing with now how to, how to see, how to identify false prophets, false teachers, and how to identify the fakes. And as he switched gears into, into how to identify, how to deal with the fakes, he doesn't deal with this with kid gloves on. <laughs> he, he, he describes false teachers, false prophets in very, very critical terms highly unfavorable terms, and he points out their real agenda, and he deals with the real ultimate consequence that is due to those who misrepresent God, who teach falsely and deal in peddling false doctrine. And so the language that he uses, the harshness, the fervor with which Peter writes here should teach us something very important, how serious truth is to God. Truth is very, very important to God. Specifically, truth about him, who he is, what his desires for humanity are, what he came to do, all of that. It is very serious to God. Some would say deadly serious. And tonight, um, we're going to touch a little bit on how to identify these false teachers. And then next time we get together, um, we're going to look at the examples of judgment that God uses here to say, look... This is how serious I am about truth. Here's the examples of those I have judged for misrepresenting the truth of who God is. And so we'll look at that next time. But tonight, we're going to look at the mind and the heart 
Um, and a little bit with the results of false teachers. Years ago, some of you remember or know of today because it's still around the Gerber Baby Food Company, right? You guys familiar with that? Years ago, the Gerber Baby Food Company decided they were going to market their products in Africa. It was a market they weren't currently in, and so they thought, we're going to take our products and we're going to go over there and, and we're going to market. And as they were doing that, they decided that they were going to use, use the same marketing strategy that they used here in the United States, the same branding, the same labeling, all of that. And you guys have all seen the Gerber baby food jar, right? The logo, right? The cute little baby that's on their labels. They still use this logo today. It's kind of iconic, um, this cute baby face on all their branding. And so they decided to use that same branding, that same labeling on baby food jars in Africa. Well, what the Gerber baby food company didn't realize was at the time they were entering the company to market their products, they didn't realize that there was an extremely high rate of illiteracy in Africa at that time. Meaning that most of the people, a significant amount of the population couldn't read, couldn't read. And so what companies would do in Africa in marketing their products is they would put pictures of the contents of the jars and the canned foods on the labels, right? Now you can imagine what it was like to see this new product introduced into your country. And you can't read what's on the label, but it has a picture of a cute little baby. And as your country has been operating, that tells you what is inside that jar. <laughs> Obviously that didn't go over very well. And then there's been like faux pas like this over the time, over. Uh, over the decades with countries and their marketing campaigns. You know, there was a uh, marketing campaign that Pepsi did in China at one point, and the, the Pepsi slogan at that time was, come alive with the Pepsi generation, right? That was the slogan here in the States. And so they just translated that straight over into Chinese. But the problem was, is when you translated that phrase, come alive with the Pepsi generation into Chinese, what was written all over their products is, Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the grave. Not a great selling point. The Coors Brewing Company, the domestic beer company, uh, they had a slogan once called Turn It Loose, right? That was their marketing slogan. And so they were then uh, trying to break some of their products into some Spanish-speaking countries. But the problem is, is when they translated Turn It Loose into Spanish, what it said on their product was suffer from diarrhea. <laughs> so you might not want to drink that beer. Okay, so innocent mistakes in marketing, right? You know, little... People overlooked things, but the problem was is that what was presented on those labels and those products didn't represent what those companies were about, <laughs> didn't represent the product, didn't represent the message that those companies were trying to, to, uh, to give to the market. And, you know, the idea is that anybody who claims to speak for God must represent God correctly. It is very, very important. Or you will be labeled by Scripture a false prophet, a false teacher. And false prophets, they're just like bad labeling on a jar. It sends the wrong message. It gives the wrong information. And so that's kind of what he's dealing with today as he uh, uh, really kind of tears into the false prophets and the false teachers. And so we're going to be looking at that. But let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father God, Lord, we know that in this world, we are the jar that is, that is <laughs> going out into the market, Lord, to proclaim Jesus. And God, there's so much of what we say and what we do really is the label that is on the jar that proclaims what we are offering, what, what it is we're bringing, what is it that we're, that we're trying to, to introduce to people, God. And so, Lord, there's so 
much importance when it comes to truth, knowing truth. You, you are so serious about truth because, God, truth really does change lives. And so you deal with uh, some things here in this chapter, Lord, very, uh, very directly, very intensely, God, because the truth, especially the truth of who you are, what you came to do, the truth of how we are saved, the truth related to all of that, God, is so critical, God, and you take very seriously those who misrepresent these truths. And so, Lord, I pray, God, tonight we would just be uh, encouraged, God, just on how serious truth is to you, Lord, in our own lives individually, that we would take serious, Lord, to properly represent the faith that we believe in, that we would take very seriously, Lord, the call to, to accurately represent who you are, God. This doesn't mean that, that we're all called to be expert theologians and expert scholars, Lord, but we are called to, to be students of your word, all of us, God that we would know what it is your word proclaims and that we would be able to identify those who proclaim something different. And so, Lord, speak to us tonight that we would hear the warning, Lord, that we would be able to share these things maybe with those that we know who are being deceived by untruths and led astray into falsehoods, Lord, and that we would be able to point out to them um, the reality of what your word really says because, God, it is the truth that changes lives. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to read all 14 verses up front just to give us the whole context, and then we'll dig into it. So 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 1. There were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, and will bring swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Their condemnation pronounced long ago is not idle, and their destruction does not sleep. For if God didn't spare the angels who sinned but cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of utter darkness to be kept for judgment, and if he didn't spare the ancient world but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others when he brought the flood on the world of the ungodly, and if he reduced the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is coming to the ungodly, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the depraved behavior of the immoral, for as that righteous man lived among them day by day, his righteous soul was tormented by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, then the Lord knows how to rescue the, un the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold, arrogant people. They are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. However, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. But these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, slander what they do not understand, and in their destruction they too will be destroyed." They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. Wow! 
Yikes, right? I mean, when I was a kid and, 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 and I did something wrong and my mom would get mad, you could literally feel the temperature change, right? You could hear the foot stomping from afar as she's coming in with the belt, right? It's just, it was terrifying, right? It's, it, it's, 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 it's a terrifying thing as a kid when you, you know you're in trouble, right? You've you done something wrong. And, 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 and that's if you're the child. But imagine someone that, that harms the child, how much more the parent in, in righteous indignation would be like, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you out and just pray God sorts you out in the afterlife, right? Why is Peter being so harsh? Well, one of the reasons is because in our modern world, we have this, this assault on truth, and, and, and it was happening in his time too, where truth was, was, was being turned into something subjective. It was becoming something that was, that was relative, right? And in today's world, we have modern relativism, which says it doesn't matter what people believe as long as they're sincere. It doesn't matter what faith you proclaim as long as you're sincere about it. And that's a common concept today in the world when, when Christians make the truth claims that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And oh, no, don't be, don't be so narrow. Don't be so critical. Don't be so harsh. But the question to, to those types of objections is, 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 well, imagine if there was a blind man walking towards a cliff and he couldn't see you knew the cliff was there. And as this blind man is heading towards the cliff, you shuffle and he hears you and he stops and he says, hey, w w would you mind showing me where to step so I don't fall off the cliff and die? Now, would it be appropriate? Would it be loving to say, you know what? It doesn't really matter which way you're, you step as long as you're sincere. That's ridiculous. That's not loving at all. And yet that's the idea the world has when it comes to eternity and salvation. And in this case, in the case of this blind man, you know, tolerance is not a virtue. Truth is a virtue. And truth is a virtue that characterizes the church. And the idea is when, when it comes to giving people eternal directions, whether you're uh, in a ministry position where you're teaching, whether you're just sharing with somebody, um, you better be careful. You better be really careful. Now, I'm not setting up something where God's just like waiting for you to mess up so he could hit you with a lightning bolt and smack you upside the head. That's not the idea here. But on the flip side of the concepts there, sometimes believers can, can, can take truth too cavalier, too lightly, right? But what Peter's dealing with here very specifically is people who are coming into the church who don't know truth, don't know the Lord, but proclaim it. They think they know truth, and they're intentionally lying, intentionally deceiving, intentionally leading people astray. And so like a spiritual surgeon here, he's ready to operate, and, and, and so he digs in very harshly. And he wants the readers of this letter to know, he wants us to know how to identify false teachers so we don't get led astray. And it's a critical thing, especially in the world we live in today where, you know, you can go on the internet and you could just look up thousands of different uh, Bible teachers on various YouTube channels and pages and stuff, and, and there's so much teaching out there. But just because someone sets up a YouTube channel and says, hey, I'm a pastor, listen to my teaching, doesn't mean that they're teaching truth. And this is what Peter says, look, I want you to know 
what a false teacher looks like so that you know the falsehood when it presents itself because you got to know the truth. And when it comes to salvation, knowing the truth is critically important. I had a buddy, I just recently found out, um, which just kind of bummed me out. The, the, the guy that led me to Christ years ago now no longer believes. He, he doesn't, he thinks Christianity is false. He doesn't believe in any of it anymore. And, uh, and, and that kind of bummed me out, you know, but years ago when, when I still had the opportunity to hang out with him, I kind of got a glimpse that something was happening because we, we were having a conversation once and he was, uh, he was studying uh, Judaism. He was really interested in Judaism because that's, that's where Christianity came out of and he was studying the religious rites and the observances and the rituals and all this stuff. And I remember having a conversation with him where he was like, you know, Jews have to be saved. And I'm like, why? He goes, look how religious they are. And I'm like, it doesn't matter how religious they are. Without Jesus Christ as their Savior, there is no salvation. No, I don't think so. They, they have to be saved for, I mean, how devout and how pious they are. And, and it was at that moment I thought, uh-oh, uh-oh. You know, something, something bad's coming down the pipe. And there's a lot of that in the world today where people don't know the difference between this and that and they'll see something and they'll see somebody in authority and they'll see somebody who, who appears to be like, they look like they know what they're saying and they go, oh, that, that must be true. And so Peter's like, ah, truth is important because if you believe a false gospel, God's not going to be like, well, you know, at least it had the word gospel and it all let you into heaven. And so we got to know truth and we got to be able to identify false teachers. But the harshness here, I just, just wanted to deal with that, you know, the, the, the idea that I get from this, and, and there's other scriptures where it's like, wow, that's kind of that's intense. God loves you and me enough to warn us about this stuff. God loves us enough to take it seriously enough to say the things he's going to say in these verses. God cares for you and I enough to say to us, look, discerning what is true and discerning what is false is all important. And so it's like this, this section is like God holding up a big beware sign, right? Beware of false teachers. And so there's three major principles in this section that we're going to be dealing with. Um, I tried to do it all tonight, and I, I just I couldn't get there, right? I was trying to whittle it down, and I was like, you know what? We'll be here for four hours. So tonight we're going to deal with the first principle is, is to be aware of their fakery, all right? <laughs> to be aware of their falsehood. And then uh, next time we get together, we'll be looking at the future of false teachers, the, the, the really the, the judgment that is going to come upon those who intentionally mislead, and then really looking at an encouragement in, in us to, to preserve ourselves from falling into deception, to align ourselves with faithful and all that, and we'll deal with that next time. But tonight, be alert to the fakery of false teachers. This involves um, being aware of the characteristics of a false teacher, and in these 14 verses, um, Peter points out 25 or so specific things to be aware of. And I'm like, okay, we, we can't do all 25, right? Um, and so I'm, I've summarized these, these specific things into six overall kind of categories that I think Peter points out here so that we can identify false teachers. And so the first characteristic of a false teacher um, to, to be aware of is that they're always around, okay? That's the first thing to be aware of with false teachers. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. He says, they, there were indeed false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So false prophets were among the people of Israel. 
They were a part of the people. They were always there. And he's going, look, just as the false prophets were in Israel, there's going to be false teachers in the church. Don't be surprised. You know, don't be taken aback by it. Just know that it's going to happen. And this warning about false prophets being among the people of Israel was all over the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, you find a whole chapter devoted to this one topic, how to spot a false prophet. A whole chapter. In Isaiah, he warns of the prophets who teach lies, causing Israel to err. God, speaking through Jeremiah, said this, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. And he was talking about the false prophets. He says, I didn't send them. I didn't command them. I didn't speak to them. Yet they prophesy false visions. And then on and on through the Old Testament, we see that there's all these warnings that, about false prophets. Because why? False prophets have always been around. False teachers will always be around. False gospels will always be around. Fake Christians will always be around. And even in the end times, it's told in, in Revelation that a false Christ will be around. So it's this falsehood that is, that, is, that is a constant presence in the world today. And the reason is because this is Satan's M.O. This is Satan's M.O. It's the biggest trick he has in his bag. Deception. That's Satan's number one trick. This is why Jesus said, look, he is a liar and he is the father of lies. <laughs> because that's what he does. He tries to deceive, right? You go all the way back to the garden. What did he say to Eve? Did God really say question the word of God. That's what he does. And in Matthew chapter 24, it tells us that the closer that we get to the end of days, deception is just going to get worse and worse and worse. It says in Matthew 24 that many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and deceive many. And then it also says many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. So that's the first thing to understand about false teachers, okay? They're going to be among us. They're going to be among us till the very end, all right? So we have to be equipped to be able to point out and to identify false teachers. The second characteristic we see in verse 1-2 to be aware of is that they always distort the truth. He says in 2 Peter 2-1, they will bring in destructive heresies. Destructive heresies. That word heresies or the word heretic, right? It's a pretty heavy word, um, you know, most people, especially if you're unchurched and you hear the word heretic, there's automatically a religious connotation of that type of thing. But that word heresy just simply means a false teaching or an untrue doctrine. And the word heretic is defined as someone who chooses something that isn't true. That's a heretic. William Barclay put it this way. A heretic is a man who believes what he wishes to believe instead of accepting the truth of God, which he must believe. Pretty neat quote there. And the reason I believe that, that people choose to believe what they want to, they, they believe what they wish to believe instead of the truth of God, which they must believe, the reason they do that is because the, the fallen, sinful, flesh nature of humanity is selfish. Us, without God, we are ultimately selfish people. We're focused on ourselves. We have a me-first attitude. We don't want to be held accountable for our actions. We want to be able to do whatever we want, whenever we want, without accountability to anybody. We, we, we don't want to be told what to do. That's us in our fallen nature. That's us in our unsaved nature. 
We are, we are people where, that have a nature that just rebels against the very concept of a voluntary submission to God. That's who we are in our natural state. And then in that, I believe that, that we're also wired to worship something, right? That quote there, a heretic is a man who believes what he wishes to believe instead of accepting the truth of God, which he must believe. We want to worship something. I think we were wired that way. We were wired with a desire to worship something, and so in our lives, in our world, we, we, we ultimately endeavor as mankind to create something that is acceptable to worship, to create something that, that, that we've made on our own that is acceptable, and, 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 and so we will make up philosophies that say what we want and don't say the things we don't want, and we'll make up false religions that, that will create gods that, that are the things we want our God to be, but not the things we don't want our God to be. Or we find the need to pick and choose what biblical truth to obey because, again, the world says truth is relative. And so if you don't like this part of the Bible, disregard that. You know, but this part of the Bible's good. And so I'm going to believe that. And so we, we end up picking and choosing. And, and in all of that, the Bible says it's the concept of we create a God of our own. We create a God whose truths we find submitting to acceptable. And this happens when people come to the Word of God and they, they pick and choose, like it's a buffet, right? The, the truth of God's word is not a buffet, right? You, you can't be like, well, I'll, I'll have a little of a judge, not least to be judged. I like that. You know, that's cool. Oh, but oh, gosh, that whole, you know, uh, faith without works is dead. That, that looks gross. I'm going to pass on that. And, 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 and we end up picking and choosing, and this is how false faiths are created. This is how false religions are created, it's uh, the basis of false teaching to say the things that, that, that they like and twist the things they don't like to say whatever they want. It's something that happens in our world today. False teachers will start with something that is true and then distort it into something that isn't biblically true. One of my favorite ones that, that they do this with is you go into the Old Testament and you find that Jonathan and King David were, were great friends. They were like best friends, right? And there's this um, uh, scripture in there that talks about where, where they, 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 they kissed. And in the culture, greeting each other with a kiss was a, was a cultural thing. But false teachers will take that and go, see, the Bible teaches homosexuality. And, and that's false. That's false teaching. You have progressive Christian teachers all over TikTok. If you're on TikTok, it's just, I don't know why God puts that stuff in front of me on, on TikTok when I'm on there, but it's all the progressive teachers, and I just, like, I get mad, and I'm like, I can't throw my phone because I'll break it, and, and I'm, ooh, that's so wrong, you know? And, and they'll twist scripture, and they'll, 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 they'll just try and twist things into fit, fitting their ideologies, but they start with truth, and they distort it, and that's what the devil does, Right? When Jesus was in the wilderness and the devil came to tempt him, he kept presenting scripture and twisted it just a little bit. And Jesus had to keep responding. We're like, no, this is what the word says. Oh, yeah? Well, this is, well, no, that's not what that means, devil. And so these heresies, they're destructive because they present a false truth, a false gospel, a false Christ, and ultimately a false salvation. And so being well-versed in, in the word, Christian, is important, Right? This is why we got to study our Bible. we got to go beyond just coming to Bible study and hearing it preached and taught to us. This is great. This is important, right? But we also need to supplement that with our own study and our own devotionals and, and digging into things on our own. We have to know what the Word of God says, especially in regards to truth. 
because false teachers will use the same vocabulary, but not the same dictionary. False teachers will use the words we're familiar with, Jesus, salvation, inspiration. They'll use the words, but their definitions are completely different from what the Bible teaches. So someone will come to you and be like, oh, yeah, no, I believe in Jesus too. Oh, tell me about Jesus. And what they mean by those words is often very different than what Scripture defines them to be. And so the third characteristic of false teachers to be aware of is that they will deny or contradict Jesus. Across the board, one way or the other, they will deny Christ. They will deny who he is according to what the Bible teaches. They will deny what he came to do according to what the Bible teaches. They will twist and change. Look again at First Peter or Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Even denying the master who bought them. If you want to identify a false teacher, you want to identify a false faith, simply find out what they believe about Jesus Christ and his teachings. Just find out what they believe about who Jesus is and what his teachings are. You will discover very quickly whether or not they are false teachers if they deny or affirm Christ. Now that word denying there, when it says even denying the master, that word deny means to disavow by contradicting. To disavow by contradicting. The idea is that false teachers, they will say things about Christ he never said about himself, or they will say things about Christ that directly contradict what Christ said about himself. And they will try and introduce these ideologies that Christ didn't say that. He never proclaimed that about himself. Or, no, that's actually the opposite of what he said. They will also say that Christ said things he never said. Or they will say Christ said things that are in direct conflict with things we do have record of him saying. They deny Christ. They disavow him by contradicting what he said. So Jesus said, in no uncertain terms, in different ways, I'm God. I'm the Son of Man. I'm the Messiah. And then you'll talk to someone and they go, oh yeah, no, we believe in Jesus too. Yeah, he's, he's a God, the brother of Lucifer. False. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, I'm God, I'm the Son of Man. And they'll go, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah, we believe in him too. He's actually Michael the Archangel. False. That's not what Jesus said. And then when people try and subtly just like, oh yeah, we believe in him. And, and you know, Jesus said X, Y, Z. And you're like, that's, that's, when you line it up with what we have in God's truth, and it contradicts that, they are denying Christ. And the overall process of denying Christ is to deny that he's God. To deny that he left heaven and, and came to earth and, and he's God in the flesh, as the Bible teaches. To deny that he lived a perfect, sinless life. He lived the perfect, sinless life we never could. To deny Christ is to deny that he paid the price, price for our salvation by his atoning death. It's to deny that his death was substitutionary meaning that he bore our sin and took our death upon himself so that we can have his righteousness. It's to deny his resurrection, that he conquered death once and for all, that he promised eternal life to those who would put faith in him. To deny Christ is to deny his ascension, that he has went to heaven, is now seated at the right hand of the Father and prays for us forever and intercedes for us. To deny Christ is to deny Christianity. 
because Christianity is Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. He is the all in all. He is the point. He is the purpose of it. Jesus. If he isn't who he claims to be, then we have a faith that does nothing. If Jesus isn't who he claims to be, then he's guilty of putting the wrong label on the jar. But if he is who he claims to be, and others deny that, and others contradict that, then they are guilty of putting the wrong label on the jar. And God takes that very seriously. Very seriously. And so the fourth characteristic of false teachers that I think he's pointing out here is that they always broaden the way to heaven. 2 Peter 2.2. Many will follow their depraved ways, and the way of truth will be maligned because of them. It says many will follow their depraved ways. The idea there, the picture, is that false teachers will be very popular. They will be very popular in the world. The Bible tells us that as the end times get closer, that that people are going to have itching ears, and they don't want to hear the things that challenge them. They just want to hear the happy, fluffy stuff, right? And and, and so false teachers are going to be very, very popular. Now, I'm not saying that just because a teacher has a million subscribers on YouTube, that equals them being a false teacher. That's not what I'm saying, okay? Please don't misunderstand me. There's tons of good teaching out on the internet that you could find that is followed by hundreds of thousands of people, and it is solid. But some of the the largest, largest churches in the world today, Some of them, not all of them, but some of them, when you analyze their teaching, you go, wait, that doesn't line up with what Scripture says. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not who Jesus said he was. And so many will follow their depraved ways. Now, this, I'm not saying that you can have a solid megachurch too, and someone messes up and sins and falls. I'm, I'm not saying that equates them to be a false teacher. People sin. Okay, I want to throw that out there real quick. But the idea is that false teachers, one of the reasons they're so popular, one of the reasons why many follow them is because they take the narrow way of the gospel, the narrow way of salvation, and they make it very broad. We know the truth of the gospel, that salvation is in and through Christ alone. Alone. We don't work our way to salvation. There's nothing good in us. There's nothing in us that earns our place before God. There's nothing that sets us higher than another person before God. Christ is the only way to attain salvation, faith in what he did on the cross. That's the narrow way. One must believe that Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. It's narrow. It's very specific. One must put their faith in his atoning death for them. Nobody gets to heaven except through Christ. It's a very narrow and specific gospel. But false teachers, well, ah, that alienates too many people. That that alienates too many people. So let's not talk about sin. Let's not talk about the need for forgiveness and salvation. You know, that that, that term sin is even, it's too restrictive, you know, because after all, you know, if we talk about sin and repentance, you know, you and I might have a a different opinion on what's acceptable behavior and not. And so we're just going to offer our own definitions of these things and and, and false teachers, their their ideas, they want to make it as easy as possible for as many as possible to feel like they can get to heaven without having to give up doing whatever they want. 
And they'll sometimes go so far as they'll, you know what? I mean, you don't really need a relationship with Jesus. You just need to be really positive. Just think positively. Just, just, be, just be a good spiritual person, you know? But you don't need to accept Christ and submit your life to him. And, and, and this is false teaching. And in that, the actual truth that God's word teaches, it says, becomes maligned. That word maligned means, or in the Greek, it's the word blasphemeo. What does that sound like? Blasphemed, right? The truth of God's word is blasphemed. Now, that word in the Greek means to become slandered. That means to be spoken of falsely with a goal and an intention of ruining its reputation. When the way of truth that God's word teaches is held in contempt, is looked down upon shamefully, when we say Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and people start to go from, no, I disagree with that, to you're being hateful. You are hateful and hate people. I go to a church where they don't preach that. Well, when the word of God, the truth, is held in contempt and looked upon shamefully, people will end up rejecting that way. And they will end up rejecting those who believe in the truth of that way. And when people look on the way of truth as something it is not, when they look on it as it is something harmful, it is something hateful, it is something to be despised, it results in people being led astray. It results in that dangerous reality that someone might believe in something that isn't true, thinking that they're saved when they're really not. And the really sad part of that is when the pressure from all of that results in people not wanting to uphold the narrow way anymore, even though they believe in it. And that's something I think the church is dealing with in our world today. And we all deal with it in different ways, but I think there's a heavy, heavy assault, spiritual, demonic assault to make Christians feel ashamed of the truth of the narrow way of salvation. To make Christians afraid to speak up because now it's not just, oh no, I don't believe in that. It's, you're a hateful bigot. Ugh, I don't want to be labeled that. And so, so this attack has, has caused the church in many ways to, to, to find it difficult to step out in evangelism like like they used to 20, 30 years ago. And so we need to be even more diligent to go out and share the faith and to, and to you know, pass out gospel tracts and have conversations with people, even if it risks someone going, you're a terrorist, which there are organizations that lame, label the gospel, the, 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 the proclamation of the Christian gospel as a terrorist ideology. And a part of that is because of false teachers out there that have offered this false thing that is more palatable to people's uh, taste. And let's not talk about one way. Let's not, and, and oh, hey, you know, that's what the gospel should be. And the pressure then becomes on those who believe in the narrow way to, well, maybe we should broaden it up just a little bit. Maybe we shouldn't be so harsh. Maybe we shouldn't really stand on what the Bible says is, is right and moral. Maybe we should back off a little bit. And, and we can't. I think whenever you find professed believers slandering the gospel truth, and it happens in the world today a lot, 
when you find professed believers slandering the gospel truth, slandering the truth of what Scripture says about sin and about different lifestyles, when you find them growing soft on the truth that salvation is only through Jesus Christ, and, and when you find you know, professed believers backing off of the truth that salvation is only secured by, by coming to Christ in faith, that he is the only hope and the only answer, and when, 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 when parts of God's word what they teach about life and lifestyle and contact, when those things start getting dismissed or straight out contradicted in what they say, if you see that in a person's life, it's very likely that they're learning from a false teacher. And so being able to identify that false teacher will keep us from falling and stumbling into these other ways and hopefully will help us help others to keep from stumbling. The fifth characteristic of false teachers to be aware of is that they cover up their true motives. 2 Peter 2, 3. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. False teachers want something from you, and it's not your well-being. It's not what's best for you. They want power. They want money. They want adoration. They want status. This is the world of prosperity preachers. This is the world of the the forehead boppers, right? Be healed. Holy Spirit jackets. People falling down all over the place, right? It's it's this world where you're like, "That, that doesn't line up with Scripture. The world of you, you have to go to this church and no other church in order to have the gospel and you have to be baptized in our church and no other church or you're not saved and, and, and that, that's not biblical. But false teachers, they want power, they want control and their true motives are covered up, it says there, by their made-up stories. They will exploit you in their greed with made-up stories. Made-up stories, what is he talking about here? He's talking about those that's like, God showed me a vision. God showed me a vision and Jesus said there's three people in this room with $5,000 and he wants you to give it to the church. Jesus didn't say that. I saw it and and God's given me the authority to proclaim this. It's no wonder Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 5 and 6, he goes, we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness and we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. We weren't doing this for the money and the fame and, and, and the recognition. This type of manipulative exploitation was, was happening back in Peter's day, and it's still happening today. In uh, AD 100, there was this writing called the Didash, and it was um, a teaching of the 12 apostles that was, that was put together and given to local churches specifically to help them spot false apostles, right? And this is what it said. If a missioner was the word they used for apostle, which is interesting, right? When we look at, are there apostles today? And the word means messenger, and we think missionary. And anyways, that's another study. But if a missioner, traveling teacher, apostle, comes to you, you should welcome that person. Let them come amongst you. However, if he stays more than three days, he's a false prophet, Are you a teacher or a freeloader? If anyone speaking in a trance and says these words, give me money or anything else, 
do not listen to him. The Spirit has come upon me. You're supposed to pay my car payment. Get out. Everyone who comes in the name of the Lord is to be welcomed. The latter, you must test them and find out about them. Make sure he does not live in idleness simply on the strength of being a Christian. And unless he agrees to this, he's only trying to exploit Christ. Those are the instructions given to the local churches in AD 100 to spot a false prophet. The sixth characteristic of false teachers to be aware of is that they despise authority. False teachers despise authority because it means accountability. And false teachers don't want anybody holding them accountable to anything they say and teach. Now this is where we're going to jump down to verse 10, okay, because this whole section, all of it's kind of scattered up. And so next time when we come back together, we're going to come back through it and look at the judgment on false teachers specifically. But in verse 10, um, Peter just got done writing how God knows how to keep the unrighteous under judgment. And then he says, especially those who follow the polluting desires of the flesh and despise authority. Bold, arrogant people. They are not afraid to slander the glorious ones. However, angels who are greater in might and power do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. What is he talking about? Well, we're still talking about the false teachers, right? That's the context of the whole section. And verses, the ending of verse three all the way through verse eight, he's highlighting the certainty of their future judgment. As I said, we'll talk about that next time. Um, and he uses you know, three examples of, of those that God judged for unrighteousness and disobedience and misrepresenting the truth. But here, he gets back to these false teachers and, and he says that they, that they despise authority. They despise authority, and then he gives us this little like, picture of what they were doing to, to picture that. Now, that phrase, despise authority, simply means that they had no respect of that which is higher than them in dominion or power. That's what it means, despise authority, right? They had no respect for anything that was higher than them in dominion or power. Now, this little story he tells here, he says, they're not afraid to slander the glorious ones. However, angels, who are greater in might and power, do not bring a slanderous charge against them before the Lord. What is he dealing with here, okay? Um, there's a few different opinions out there. I personally think that when he says glorious ones, he's referring to demons. And you might go, what? <laughs> he says glorious ones, what does that mean? Well, there's a couple reasons here. That phrase glorious ones in the Greek simply means a transcendent heavenly being, all right? It doesn't imply goodness or evil in, in any way, shape, or form. It's just talking about a transcendent heavenly being. But the, the phrase glorious ones, it's, it's when it's saying glorious ones, it's referring to the power and the might that such a being possesses. Okay, that's, that's what this phrase is referring to. And he goes, they're not afraid to slander the glorious ones. And then he goes, however, angels, and he uses angels to contrast with these glorious ones. And, and by contrast, good angels, they don't even bring a slanderous charge against these glorious ones before the Lord. Well, it's the same exact wording that is used in Jude verses eight and nine, and this is what it said in Jude verses eight and nine. In the same way, these people, relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority, and slander glorious ones. Yet, when Michael the archangel was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So in Jude 8 and 9, we have this same concept here, right? These, these arrogant false teachers, they, they, they slander glorious ones, and then the example 
is Michael the archangel wouldn't even slander the devil. Instead, he said, the Lord rebuke you. So when we come back to, to Peter, what I believe Peter is saying here about false teachers is that they're so arrogant and, and, and they despise authority to the point where they think they're at the highest level of authority that, that they did what Michael the archangel wouldn't even do. That they would mock and slander angels, fallen angels, right? But still, angels nonetheless, these glorious ones, they're glorious in their might and their power, that these false teachers would mock and slander them. And he's like, tying it to Jude, Michael the archangel wouldn't even do that. He's like, no, I'm not even going to slander the devil. The Lord rebuke you. So what does that look like today? Um, There's stories, you could read them online, of of traveling preachers and traveling teachers that go from church to church and in their ministries is they yell at demons, right? They'll come into a place and, you know, now devil, you weak piece of garbage, we bind you and we command you to do this and I and the authority that I have and, and they're just yelling at devils and demons all the time. They're having a conversation with the devil about God when they should be having a conversation with God about the devil, We have no authority and power to tell a demon to do anything on our own. But we do have authority and power through Jesus Christ. And so there was people apparently then, and and, and I see examples of this today, you can find them online, which is why I think this was talking about, that people who in their false teaching wanted to come before the people and so demonstrate their power and authority between those that they were trying to get to lead them or follow them and pay them and all this stuff, that they would be, I'm telling the demons what to do. And Peter's going, "Are are you kidding me? Like, you think you're so above and beyond and and authoritative and beyond rebuke and everything that you have the power to command the demons? You know, in my life, I've learned that when Satan comes knocking on my door, I ask Jesus to answer it. That's what I've learned. Satan's knocking at the door. Jesus, can can you get that for me, please? You know, can you answer the door for me, please? Don't try to go toe-to-toe with Satan and his demons. On your own, you're just going to get crushed. Now, yes, we have authority in Jesus' name, right? And there's, you know, the casting out of demons and things that takes place when the Lord leads, and it's through the power of the Lord. But we also have the story of the disciples going out and trying to tell the demons what to do, and the demons are like, step off, punks. I know Paul. I don't know you. Ah, they fled, you know? or I know Jesus, but I don't know you, and they fled. You know, it's like, and, and this is what these false teachers are trying to do. They get a little full of themselves, and they think they have authority and power that they haven't been given. And so don't try to go toe-to-toe with Satan and his demons. Don't try to one-on-one the fight. It's incredibly arrogant to think you'll win that fight on your own. Jesus fights our battles with the enemy. We participate in the battle by asking Jesus to fight the battle for us. That's our participation. Prayer. When the devil's coming knocking, we, 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 go to, we go to God in prayer. God, the temptation's coming, the devil's coming. I need you. But apparently these false teachers doing something entirely different. Verse 13, he goes on, but these people, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, slander what they do not understand. And in their destruction, they too will be destroyed. 
God, through Peter, does not have very nice things to say about these false teachers. He compares them to irrational animals and creatures of instinct. He's just talking about creatures without reason, without intellect, without logic, led by their base desires to eat, drink, and seek their own pleasure. Right? We see that in verse 13. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. They consider it a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. Yeah. They aren't sheep. They aren't people who are following the Lord. But they certainly want to operate as shepherds, pretending to be experts in spiritual things. And and it says that all they're doing is seducing. That means to entice people to follow them with their deceptive claims to power, their deceptive claims to authority. All the while, they're just fattening themselves in the pursuit of their own pleasures. And God's not happy about that. But he says they seduce unstable people. That word unstable doesn't mean, you know, you're crazy. It simply means those who are young, weak, or wobbly in the faith. Think of a little baby deer or a giraffe, right? Oh, so cute, and their legs wobble and they fall over, right? Oh, how precious, right? That's, that's baby Christians. <laughs> and they prey on those ones. Because those ones don't have roots yet, right? They're not stable in their faith, and, and so they, they, they want to lead them astray. But ultimately, these false teachers, it says, will be destroyed by the destruction that they wrought in the lives of others. And we'll talk more about that next time. So beware false teachers. They will always be around. They will distort truth. They will deny Jesus outright or by subtly contradicting him. They will broaden the way to heaven. They will cover up their motives with visions and stories. And they will despise authority and reject accountability, demonstrated by an arrogant, slanderous claim to power and authority that's not given them, and their intentional seduction of those who are weak, who don't know any better yet. So let's keep our eyes open, you know. Beware false teachers. Keep your teachers accountable. A lot of you ask me questions. Thanks, I appreciate that, you know hey, you said this, I didn't understand, you know. I appreciate that feedback because it keeps me on my toes to say, I'm, I'm going to teach it right, you know. But if you know people that are wandering in their stuff, you know, who, who are you learning from? Find out. And pray that God would give you an opportunity to present real truth back to them that they would be made aware of the false teaching they're under. And if you're a false teacher, wow, I pray you Repent because what's coming for you is not, not happy. But let's pray. <laughs> Father God, we thank you, Lord, for who you are, and we thank you, Lord, for these warnings. God, we thank you, Lord, that you care enough about us to deal with these really difficult things and to deal with them in a very fatherly manner. God, when your kids are, are assaulted, when your kids are put in danger, Lord, Wow, you respond, God, and we thank you for that. Lord, you're so gracious and patient with our stumblings and our, and our wobblings and our weakness. And, and God, you're so patient with that, just like a dad with their kid who's learning to grow. But God, Lord, when people intentionally come after your kids to harm them, Lord, you have some serious things to say.
And so God, help us to be aware of the characteristics of false teachers, that we would be able to discern truth from error, that we would be able to spot those that are leading us properly and teaching us properly and, 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 and identify when they're not. So that, Lord, if we have to withdraw from, from, from listening or learning from somebody and move somewhere else, God, that we would do that, Lord, that our soul would be healthy, that our walk with you would be growing and maturing, Lord, and that we would be safe in the truth of your word. Thank you for loving us so much, Lord. Thank you for protecting us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.